0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Susan Graylock yusum and today we're very excited to be speaking with Bio Akumalafe about his book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. Dr. Bio Akumalafe is a writer, lecturer, speaker, public intellectual. He is executive director and chief curator for the Emergence Network, a post-activist project. And he's host of the online writing course We Will Dance With Mountains, writing as a tool for emergence. He's co-author of We Will Tell Our Own Story and author of These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, which we will talk about today. And he's also creator of a new work called I Coronavirus, Mother Monster Activist, which you can learn more about at bioakomalafe.net. Welcome to New Books, Bio.
1: Glad to be here, sister.
0: Well, before we jump into your book, I'd love to hear more about um, your work. You've done so many interesting things. And um, can you tell us a little bit about your work and your approach and what your um, what your path has been?
1: Um, well, I'm from Nigeria, and um, I was just telling a story a while ago about awakenings, how I was um, brought up in a largely Christian world and, um, and how I navigated the world with a map that was true, or I should say a map that was configured to truth, right? Truth as a universal uh, pre-subjective, you know, beyond human quality that is that is really calibrated to crystal-centric values, Um and then eventually that map started to point me to directions I no longer wanted to go in. It's like this, I was suddenly magnetized to a more desirous field or a different field that was desiring differently. My notions of beauty changed, my notions of what I wanted politics to do and what spirituality was about changed. Um, and so to cut the story short, not that I want to commit such acts of violence <laughs> is um, my, my work is about contending and staying with those sites of trouble. I'm very attracted to fissures and fault lines and cracks and openings. In fact, I consider it to be the prime objective of blackness. Blackness not as an identitarian quality, but as a counter-imperial force that is that constantly contends with stability. That's where I'm at.
0: Well put. Well, let, um, let's let jump into the book, I think. How did you come to create this book? I know it's about fatherhood, but was there a particular um, awakening that made you realize this was the approach to take to get the information um through that you were you're communicating this book which we'll dive into
1: Hmm. you know this is the second question about awakenings that i'm getting today (laughs) um i think in a sense the book created me um it it wasn't entirely authorial like to think things out on my own It, it it was a journey a journey in in um not only revisiting the very alive moments for me, the first moments I held my daughter, um, but in really struggling and wrestling with the feelings I had before I became a father in that static biological sense um, that what world would I leave behind for her? What kind of father am I going to be? Me who lost my own father when I was a teenager um. Uh, what do I do with this hole in my body? And, and what does it mean to show up for my daughter in these very charged times? And, and so um, it was stained with the questions. The book kind of met me halfway and um, gave birth to itself in, in some way, perverse way. Um, the, the book is uh, not just about fatherhood and um especially father and a daughter but um home and what home means and i make a point in the book and this might be central to the entire theme It's, it's a very strong motif in the book is what i'm trying to say that home is always in the middle that home is not a destination and or an origin it's it's a it's the it's the middle so um Maybe that answers the question. Then,
0: right before um, you jumped on this conversation, I did make a note, and I wrote, "What does home mean?" <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that seems to be the thing.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, and I, I think one note to readers of the book: when I first started reading it, I wanted to to plow through it and then I realized that there's something about the quality of it written as letters that really invites you to pause between the letters and digest it I even found when I read the first one, I was on a walk and I was talking to you in my head I mean it had it has a quality of a dialogue and I think that the form of the letters besides being to your daughter which is very poignant but that that form does invite you to hold that place and kind of tack and try to find that center like letters do
1: yeah 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 it 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 was it was and still is a deeply personal thing i mean it's the arc of um of my life as i see it you know it's it's not just where i came from it's also death and dying and and ghostly appearings and a past that is never done with, and how that is, is my daughter's legacy. And hopefully what that helps her do in a world that is uncertain and yet to come.
0: Yeah, it's so much about father and mother. And you've mentioned your father. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit because it obviously it's about being a father, and your own father is such a poignant part of this book. Um, what? How did your... Can you say a little more about your father was a diplomat and there's a lot to say about him, but um, how did through writing this book and becoming a father and becoming more of a father, did your understanding change? You know, how did your father become uh, Mm -hmm. someone that you're almost conversing with? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the, he lingers so much in your mind after you read about There's He's cool like that. Your dad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's cool like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It brought many tears, actually. my if, if I could speak with, in very poetic, quaint terms, about writing the manuscript, instead of what I actually did, which was type it out on a computer, um, I would say that the pages were wet with a libation of tears. Um, remembering my father wasn't just uh, recalling precious memories. It was about... Inviting him to be present, you know, it was giving space for a ghost and a ghost not as a uh, figure of, um, you know, the figure down the hall or the horrific, you know, ways that it's that ghosts are cinematically portrayed. It, it, It was more about it was more about acknowledging that the invisible is already threaded through my vocation to be father. To become father, that my failures and their tetherings, you know, their their anchorage, my failures are already, in some sense, a gift. Some things that transcend me, exceed me, and that my best intentions may not pan out, and I have to, you know, look to ancestry. My father being the most um, proximate figure of ancestry for me, I didn't quite know my grandparents um uh, and to contend with him to stay with him you know to make room for him to be hospitable to not just memories but his mustache and his smile and his own demons is to perhaps make more room for my own children
0: yeah yeah i've had that experience myself losing my father as a teen i think there's an interesting there's the myth of the father and the reality, and it all swirls around and how yeah. it moves forward and anchors you. Yeah, I think that's actually almost the how the your book works. I think what it offers because you, it's, there's this beautiful quality of, the, of how you manage to take the everyday life and mythic and stories, and they are all seamless. That there's not this that it's almost teaching you how to understand life in that way where there's a seamlessness between stories or myths and what is actually happening moment to moment. The Peugeot in the driveway yeah. is all the same as you know the past, the future, and the stories. Can you say a little more about that? I mean, obviously that you've got you've learned how to live in the mytho, mythopoetic in a way that I think many of us feel yeah. is a skill we need to recover. Mm-hmm
1: and and we are always the the modern isn't the dismissal of myth right it's the it's just a p- performance of different kinds of um myth and it's a, it's a performance of dismissal <laughs> not quite a dismissal but the performance of dismissal um which is which is still cosmologically and mythopoetically um vibrant um i I wouldn't take full credit for this, though, because I grew up in a culture where the world is, was yet to be conspiratorially alive, that every morsel of air and oxygen is thick with rumors, you know, it's thick with rhymes and whisperings. We call it IE, and I think I wrote about that in the book as well, uh, it, it, it's that, it's that nothing is ordinary that isn't already extraordinary and 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 that the extraordinary desires to be ordinary because the ordinary is already woven through, uh threaded through with uh multiple beans. We also have a term um orita. I didn't quite get to orita in the book. I will get to it in my second book or in my third book actually. Um but the idea of the crossroads is um, I did say a thing or two about crossroads. I think. Well, the idea of the crossroads is is where bodies meet, right? Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've always, I've always lived, even within the city, in uh, a milieu that privileged this idea that there are things around us that we are cradled by the invisible. We are. Um, supported and subsidized by the things we cannot see. Um, and in a sense, I think we are regaining those of us living in and gestating in modern settlements um, as we're witnessing the insurgency of the invisible, like a pandemic or like critters bursting into the scene and disturbing our calculations of the future. We are now learning to, <laughs> we are now learning to social distance Maybe social distancing is a pre-intentional rite of passage or a ritual, a way of making space for the thing in between, even though we don't name it that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that you're making me think of all these stories of bears walking through downtowns, and that's been happening in the uh-huh. last. Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we
0: should also talk about the mother because even though it's ostensibly a book about father, it's there's it's. You know, oh, the very yes. first line is, Mama, I don't want to be alone again. And then, yes, the, the very end, what you say to your daughter is, Don't forget about this. And most important, tell them about your mother. Um, yes. and it's such a beautiful piece of the book. Can you say more about the mother? Oh, I mean, yes, you could say more about the mother, but
1: <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you'd yes, like to say EJ. about the mother, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say, um, uh, this some let me start let me ent- enter into this rich question this way that people often ask me where are you from and i've i've developed and cultivated this new habit of saying i'm from the atlantic ocean um i'm from the transatlantic just to give a sense of my migritude you know what's her name that you wrote that book about migritude forget uh, i forget her her name if she's listening um, but to give a sense that we're not from a static place, so we're, we're from movement and we're in movement and we're going to movement. So um, uh, the transatlantic is just this rippling, diffractive space. It's a middle, if you will, between continents. And I feel that we are, in a sense, from between places. So I like to say now that we are, um, I, I'm from the transatlantic. And I mentioned this because you know, um, the the book, yes, though about fatherhood, is about, you know, this tension, and I don't want to portray it as a dupe, uh, a binary, but mm-hmm. this tension between uh, mothering, or the matrixial web that is the condition for fatherhood, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, it starts like you say with Mama, and it ends with uh, you know focusing on Mama. And right, I would con- I would also say that right in the middle, it's about this material feminism. It's about this. It's it's noticing that, uh, and and you would also notice that my wife's um, voice contests everything I say. <laughs> Between every chapter is her ah, I is her eye rolling text like nah forget everything your father said and i just wanted a book that was about you know contesting the phallic stability of things and that fatherhood is not you know uh, is 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 ecstasy is external to stasis uh, you know is is ongoing and that's why i wanted to privilege the tension Uh, my wife is my life um she's um you know, people who have read the book would would be introduced to her she's indian she's nigerian she's iranian um or iranian um and english and she she's the first person who taught to me about um uh, the uh queerness of identity not by anything she said but just by showing up <laughs> she 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 taught me about diffractive presence and I still learn that from her to this day. She's the anchor of our family and um I'm grateful. Without her, this book would not have happened. It's very important to notice that. Yeah.
0: I guess you've hinted you hinted that throughout the whole book about your own father and the, the fallacy of the phallic fallacy of the phallic father. Because he yeah, there's a there's a solidity of your father, but also it um there's always this sense of impermanence you know the the black hair dye that drains down the sink and that just the edginess of being a diplomat where he was and
1: yeah the
0: tension fear
1: yeah yeah he was uh i did i did live i i lived under the shadow of this immaculate um masculinity that i felt my father perfectly embodied um to say that i've outdone or outraced its, you know, its sensuous effects would be to speak too much. I, I, I think I would acknowledge that this is an ongoing work. It's, it's intergenerational, and I acknowledge my failures. You know, um, we all have been touched by this, you know, this desperate quest for arrival. In my in my case, and in the case of many people who identify as men, it's arriving at a stable masculinity, and and I'm I'm learning to relieve masculinity of that um, toxic tethering to a male body, um, or to stable categories, or or you know or to anything, you know anything fully articulable. And I'm learning to live in the middle, right there, to acknowledge that I'm porous um, and my failures are rich and how the world shows up.
0: And that porousness, that that makes me think to the, um, the idea of the ghosts because that is certainly something that moves through the whole book, the hauntings and the, yeah. um, the porousness. And I think you say, like, listen to the ghosts or I think maybe that's advice to your daughter. And, and you even say at the end, I think we will haunt you, <laughs> yeah. and I think there's this. It's like smoke moving through the whole piece, and I think that's really probably a really critical piece of the that the sh- the shadows are are not just like oh I sometimes maybe there's we get stuck in that you know the duality again of like if I just embrace the shadow I will be whole like no the shadow is always here it's always there forever. Mm-hmm, haunting mm-hmm. your children haunting you haunting every mm-hmm. day haunting going to buy food
1: and we have to learn to live with hauntings don't we um because i think ghosts are 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 poorly portrayed you know i can't remember i think with was zora, zora what's her full name Hurston, I feel i forget maybe it's the is the evening my evening brain but um uh, she, I think she wrote that ghosts hate new things.
0: So are you talking about the writer Zora Neale Hurston? Yes, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There you
1: yeah. go. I got, I got part yes. of it, but my yes, brain put it ghosts. together. <laughs> she lives
0: with ghosts in her fiction. Yes, yes. Uh-huh, there you go. So you yes.
1: Ghosts, ghosts hate new things. Um, and 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 that helped me. You know, it's a good idea to think with, right? That. You know, when we board up a part of a house, or supposedly haunted house, and there you have the, you know, the scratchings on the wall and the whisperings within, it, it, the ghost is the invitation to not be so sure about our, our claims to innovation, right, That or progress, or that we've left this behind, that there are things that still need to be worked with you know, in, in the place, especially in the places that we think are done and completed, that there is a gap there, there are, there are broken places and openings. Um, yeah. So, this this idea of a haunting is is useful. I think ghosts teach us that bodies themselves are not as um, manifest or as. Uh, you know, as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't find it. Uh, they're not superior, that we show up in traces, um, and to touch the traces is good work. To touch the, the way that our bodies are disorganized, to use Gilles Deleuze, um, his term, uh, the way our bodies are diasporic and spread out. Um, maybe that's the invitation of the ghost and the gift of, of ghosting's.
0: I think um, there's something that you bring up in the book and we've basically been talking about this is um, to get away from this idea of saving, saving the world, which it seems to be that this mm. is the new form that, you know, it's just work that's thinking about climate change or um, yeah. sustainability just takes the same idea and just puts it in this idea of saving. And I think you you really embrace that throughout the book and we're using the word embrace and um as a just changing our paradigm and how we think about that um and I, yeah i think one yeah. of piece of your advice with your daughter was hug a hug a confused stranger uh-huh. and i think that's an interesting way to think about uh like a an action to take or advice do you want right. to um, say anything more about this idea that we get stuck in with the saving idea.
1: Saving, well, salvation, and all its uh, shatterological, you know, premises, is conservative. It's it's the restoration of the image, right? To, to use Jungian and Hillmanian um, concepts, it's it's the it, it's. It's it's very res- restorative in its in its effects. Um, get back to normal. Get a vaccine. Um, restore human centrality. Restore the economy. You know, get jobs. Get people good working jobs and all of that. It 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 kind of reintroduces the same algorithmic uh, dynamics that created. And one might say, where are the conditions of the problem in the first place? I've written elsewhere that justice should always be considered hyphenated. It's not just justice. It's justice, injustice, right? And that, in a sense, injustice requires justice to work well. <laughs> and, and, and justice leans on injustice. You know, it's, it's not just cops eating donuts. I know that American cinematic trope in the car and wondering, oh gosh, when is the robber going to, uh, uh, or something interesting going to happen? Like justice desires action, right? <laughs> right? To validate itself. Um, and so there's this Hegelian um, dynamic there. There's this push and pull, this master-slave um, thing that is going on there. Um, that keeps on restoring itself. So salvation, I feel, is is a risk. is a risk to take. I'm not saying it's bad or it's evil, but when we push towards salvation, then we are um, then we l- lose sight of all the other things. The third way, what I would call the third way, you know, the trickster's route out of the dualism, the breaking open, the breakthrough. You know, so yeah salvation often gets in the way of transformation and and we may be doing ourselves in if we keep with that
0: it does feel there's in this time that there's still there's a this is a moment of resistance i just saw like a young person just said to me yes i'm i'm vaccinated i'm healthy and i'm not going back to work i'm going away for a year i'm going to i'm going to go see what happens like there is a resistance to nice. this idea that we're Okay, get back. <laughs> Even yeah, yeah I, yeah. I think there's a we still there's a rupture happening, and there's a lot of potential to resist falling back. Yeah, into the
1: stability, into old patterns. Yeah, yeah. And 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 a person might go back to work. Yeah, yeah, but 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 fugitivity does not have to be successful. Just a crack, you know, um, is is worlding in its effects, however temporal
0: worlding and its effects there's a really um talking about the book and i think there's always a thought of well what now what how do we move forward and there's a reflecting on how you open the story with with the story of your daughter she got trapped in the room and you have to climb up and to help her and then when you reflect back at the end of the story the book you say um we will never let you wander behind closed doors again, and I think can you say mm-hmm. a little more about what that looks like, um, and the idea of yeah the closed door and opening up you know beyond our fences and what that what that might look like practically if there's any, especially as a few years after you wrote that how that's evolved with you as a father mm-hmm. with a daughter.
1: Well, while well, it it means um, being vigilant about the ways errancy often becomes orthodoxy. And and this vigilance is not about manning the gates, you know, not exclusively about that. I'm not saying there isn't room for that. But but it's just to notice that often in resistance we reinscribe the very dynamics that we're trying to move away from. Or as some other author put it, that resistance often fails as a gesture of refusal. Um So it's what I, you know, not allowing Alethea to wander behind closed doors is also our promise to her to not give her, you know, a ready-made God, you know, not to box her into disciplinary, you know, incarcerations, um, you know, or the aspirations of adultism. It's like staying with the awkwardness that children are awkward you know, <laughs> this, this, this disturbances of our stability and and there is something about staying with children that is philosophy in itself. It's it not necessarily uh, an imposition of titles and degrees, but it, it's like there's philosophy, there's work there. and our corporeal, assortments and the way we show up in the world and the way we reproduce has given us this gift, you know, of, of, of being with children. And that is an opening. Those are openings. We could choose to save them by putting them in in the family way or we could stay with the trouble of kids. And so this is what my wife and I have been doing. Um, We've been, we've been vigilant about closed doors, in more senses than one. She can open a latch now. There's no trouble with that. Um, and we're hoping that she will continue to open latches, ideological, metaphorical, socio-political, that she will learn to see her scene. And so in very, very practical terms, and not that what we're conversing about theoretically isn't already practical, um, but I feel that... Um, our work, our deepest work and the work that I thought that was the heart of the book with Aletheia is to fail generously, is to, is to learn how to fail, is to learn to be untethered, to travel like the trickster, to follow failure as a cartographical project, You know, um, to be keen and aware and nervous, nervous not in the sense of being afraid, but to be alive, sensuously alive to um, the invitations afoot in the world. Let me just—I would just circumscribe everything I've just said with, for instance, the uh, the noticing by Avery Gordon, who wrote about ghostly matters. Um, I think that's the title of a book, and how we're fixated with certain boogeymen, you know, and enemies. Capitalism, patriarchy, ageism. And and to do that is to risk being stuck ourselves. You know, we have to learn to notice that uh, our list of enemies, you know, is also a form of incarceration. And so to really move away from our tensions and the focuses and imperatives of contemporary activism, we need uh, more than just resistance. We need um, failure. We need, we need, soft spaces. We need daughters. We need food and dosa. <laughs> I know. I'm going somewhere else.
0: I think that is a beautiful sentiment to yeah. hold on. Fail generously is a really rich idea to hold, especially in a post-activist time. Well we have taken a lot of your time and i know your son is waiting for you is there um we could end on that beautiful note is, is there anything else you'd like to add or that things that popped up that you'd like to put into the conversation
1: no it's it's just interesting that you you brought out aspects of the book that that weren't even there for me which which reinforces the uh, the and concept that the author is the the reader is the author right so my, what I would say is gratitude. Nothing wise to say except to be grateful to you for reading the book, for for reading that book, which was a labor of love. Um and, and thank you for your work. Thank you for the things you're doing.
0: Thanks for writing the book. Thanks for be- writing it so poetically and engaging. Mm-hmm. It is is really like having a sharing a letter with someone over a long period of time. So, thank you. I encourage people to read it if they have not. I am Susan Greylock Usum, and this is the New Books Network. And we have been speaking um, with Beo Akumalafe about his book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. Thank you so much for joining us.